when Yezrian dies, Shalash and Talon feel it. Ash and Talonel are trying to escape Thalen City back to Azir, where their their skin color won't be as dramatically different, and they can blend in again, because that's what all they're used to doing, or all Ash is used to doing. And when Yezrian dies, they can feel it, and they both pass out. And Yasna finds them, and Yasna knows who they are. And Yasna's brilliant idea at the beginning of this book was, hey, let's find all the heralds and kill them. So Yasna now has in custody Ash and Talm. What are you guys' uh, predictions on this? When I when I first read this, I was like, oh, great. The heralds are falling in with our heroes. This is excellent. We might actually be able to make some progress. But then I remembered what Yasna had said earlier, what you said, Trevor, about killing them. I was like, oh, wait. Of all of our heroes to come across them, Yasna probably not the best one. So, uh, I don't know. That is interesting. In my head, I think that, you know, Yasna's going to have a change of heart, right? Um, that's right. I would like to, to hear more from our Herald still. Mm-hmm. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we come back in Rhythm of War and maybe, you know, Yasa's a, a big teacher, sort of, and very knowledgeable, maybe is wants to get some information and then be like, all right, class, this is how we uh, remove a herald from the equation. <laughs> so, I mean, she is, the, I th- she is the queen now, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that Yasna is going to fairly quickly learn about the death of Yezrian. And I think that might change her mind. I think that might, you know, if she realizes, oh, hold on, the game's changed here a little bit, killing Yezrian was not, it wasn't just he got sent back to, you know, damnation or whatever. No, he's dead, dead. So hang on. Do we need to rethink, you know, sending all these heralds back to, back to this place? I I bet she'll, she'll recalculate the equation. She was deliberately looking for them. She's policing every. The scene is she's policing everybody exiting the oath gate, and she's got two sketches of them because she knows they're there from the Avengers Assemble scene earlier. But she was a little preoccupied, and she has two ske- two very accurate sketches of them in her hands, and she's you know looking at everybody as they're walking through the oath gate, and so she goes up to them and says, "Aha, I found you." All right, I want to go back to Teravangian and Odium's meeting in in 122 because this maybe has some of the biggest implications for Rhythm of War moving forward. Odium deliberately meets with Teravangian on a on a dull day. And it's we're given the impression that Teravangian and Odium have been trying to make this meeting happen a, like for a while now and Tyrvian, and Odium finally makes contact with Tyrvangian on this day specifically after he's lost at Thalen City and then he meets with 
Teravangian. What did you guys think of this scene before I uh, point out a couple things? Okay. I think this scene was probably my favorite of our of our episode here. For a couple reasons. There, there are several things I want to touch on. One, Teravangian has, as long as we've known more about him, uh, ever since really we knew that he hired Zeth, or had control of Zeth previously, um, he's been one of our bad characters. Um, and I would still put him in that category. But he... <laughs> I think he is the embodiment of wanting some good at any cost. Like, he will go to no, there's no, nothing he won't give. He wants to, like, save his people, and that's the only thing he cares about. It doesn't matter if there's even a world left for them to live on, which is just horrible. Um, but he, in my mind right now, he's much less despicable than Moash. But he's also in way deeper. Teravangian here is talking with Odium. And they bring up this diagram that we've heard Teravangian talk so much about. Um, and Odium's, like, uh, he, Odium sees the diagram. And he's actually a little impressed. He's like, Teravangian, you know, very good. You know, that's, that's very smart of you. I don't know how you did this without access to the spiritual realm. Um, or, like, the knowledge that he has, I guess. And he's like, here, let me show you a little more. And every note that Teravangian has just explodes into, like, volumes of information. And it's just so vast. And Teravangian says that he wants to read it, but can't because he knows it would consume him. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of, kind of intense. Um, but basically... Uh, I think this is really, I think this is a really great point and great moment because we see how vast the difference between Odium or that level of understanding and what we have. I still don't understand what's going on with Teravangian's smart and dull days, but we know he had this one enlightened day where he came up with this diagram and he's kind of just been chasing that high sense. Like, um,. And it was obviously something really remarkable because he had information that he shouldn't have really been able to to find. So, however that happens, he kind of makes a deal with ODM. Uh, it feels like he's just signing a deal with the devil that I'll help yeah. you do whatever, but my little city, my people, just don't just don't kill them, pretty much. Um, and that's what we see them that that agreement kind of come to there. Paul, there was one thing I was going to bring to your attention that I'm guessing would be hard to pick up on in the audiobook, but I, I was drawn to it reading the physical copy. And that was in this scene where, where Odium says, you touched on it, I'm really impressed that you were able to do this without access to the spiritual realm. And then he also says, without access to fortune, but fortune is capitalized like other words like investiture and I'm trying to think of what else is capitalized. There's lots of, of words that like have specific meaning or added like importance that Sanderson will capitalize. And he does it here 
which makes me like think that fortune is like an ability or a thing from another world, another magic system, even perhaps that I was very curious about. And all we have is this one word to go off of, but fortune, I'm gonna have to look for more of this in the future. I would be curious. Um, would you like to hear my guess as to what fortune is? Definitely. Uh, do you want a clue my, before you guess? I'm going to, I'll say this first and then mm -hmm. you'll say your clue and I'll be like, okay, never mind. Um, so we always talked about how the thrill was capitalized, right? Sure. Yes. Um, I would go ahead and put this in the boat that this is like an unmade. Oh. But the power is kind of that of like in the like Truth Watcher or uh, Bondsmith area where it's kind of around like foresights and visions. Maybe it's kind of a twisted version that you can see information in other realms that you shouldn't be able to see or know about or things like that. Um, so that would be my guess right now. Uh, it could very well just be another cosmic power or something like that with breaths or who knows. Um, but I'm going to give it the thrill treatment for now. The one other reference you've had to fortune with a capital F. You've actually had it twice, but one character is Hoyd. Hoyd has referred to fortune with a capital F twice before now. I probably could have guessed that if you'd asked me, like, who's the one character that might have mentioned something like this? Well, yeah, Hoyt, obviously, of course, he drops random references all the time. So, interesting. The exact... Well, I'll get there in a second. Tervangian and, Od and Odium are talking, and... Teravin and Odium expands on all the ideas that Teravangian has in the diagram, except there's a specific line where it stops and it's not illuminated in the gold Odium light and Teravangian notices it. What is it? It mentions, I don't remember exactly what it says. I didn't write it down in my notes, but it mentions Renarin Colin. It does. And I couldn't quite understand. Maybe Paul or Trevor, you can help me. Is it, is the implication, is it trying to hint at here that Odium either didn't see those words or like couldn't see those words, that they were hidden from him somehow? Yes. The implication is that. Teravangian is seeing something in the diagram that Odium is not. Hmm. Okay. I mean, we already knew that Renarin is going to be one of our more important characters going forward, simply with because of his like kind of bridging the the gap almost of he's he's radiant, but he's somehow bonded a corrupted Spren. What does he have a some sort of a link to? Ja Anat, I, I already knew he was going to be important. Now I like 110% know that Renarin is going to be the, the, the linchpin here. And we had a couple questions about that last, last episode, but we did get it confirmed in this episode that 
Renarin Spren is of is a Truth Watcher Spren, but it was corrupted by Jaanat. So that is the that's the touch that Renarin has right now. Is his Spren is corrupted, but he is still a Truth Watcher. The the other part of this scene that stood out to me was one the interesting fact that Teravangium was so smart on the day that he wrote the diagram that he foresaw this happening Odium coming to Teravangian in a moment of weakness that Teravangian wrote in the diagram basically a script for dumb Teravangian to read to Odium in this moment right he writes himself a script. Right, which is like kind of funny and mind blowy at the same time. And so Odium, no, Teravangian reads that note and it talks about the challenge that Odium has accepted from Dalinar, which kind of made me think back to that, that I, I don't know if that's, I had kind of thought that that was resolved, but it seems like maybe it's not. Because Odium did accept the challenge. Right. He then just kind of turned it and said, oh, joke's on you, Dalinar. You're going to be my challenger. But then we kind of have a showdown with Amaram. But it's not really Dalinar that fights Amaram, right? It's Kaladin that fights Amaram. So I was kind of thinking of kind of Dalinar on one side and Amaram on the other. But that's not really how it goes down. So Teravangian is kind of pointing out to Odium, hey... You've agreed to this challenge. Dalinar has some leverage over you now. At, which could be pretty important. Teravangian saying you need me because if you right. if you reveal yourself to Dalinar again, he will force you to fulfill your contest of champions right then. And so, so you, you can't reveal yourself to Dalinar anymore. So Dalinar's or Ter sorry. Odium is not going to be infiltrating Dalinar's visions or anything like that anymore because he will be forced into a contest of champions. So Teravangian knows this and says, you, you need me to do your dirty work around Dalinar because you can't, you can't show yourself to him anymore. But frustratingly enough in all of this, now, now I'm even more scared of, of Teravangian because even though in the previous chapter, Teravangian told Dalinar a good chunk of what he's done, he straight up tells Dalinar, hey, I hired Zeth and sent him to kill like, yeah, all the royal people all across the sharp. Dalinar still, at some level, is trusting Teravangian. Yeah. Still, which shocked me. He's, he's not like fully trusting him, but he hasn't like, you know, kicked him to the curb and said, Oh wow, that's really terrible. I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. That's what I thought he was going to say, but he doesn't. There's even a scene where they're like, you know, talking about the coalition and like, oh, and Teravangian will do this, and they're like, oh, do you still trust him? And Dalinar's like, yeah, I think we can at least trust him a little bit. It's like, ah, uh, come on. D Dalinar is certainly Mister Second Chances now, though. After what he's yeah. been through himself, he's he certainly sees the good. And you see, he saw the good in Amaran, right? And said, hey, you can you can change. And so he's he is going to give Teravangian a second chance, partly because he doesn't know the weight of what Teravangian's actually been doing and done. But he he's a little too trusting at times, maybe. 
I think so. There's also one other nugget that Teravangian drops. It's actually in 121. Teravangian claims that he has a herald back at Carbranth. Yep. The, he, it was the herald of the Truth Watchers, I believe, because she Ooh. um she gives them notice of the Everstorm coming. Same same as Renarin, what what Renarin was doing for Dalinar. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, that was kind of another blink and you miss it little nugget there where he was just like, oh yeah, we have a Herald. Herald told us things were going to happen. Like, moving on. He was like, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. You, you have a Herald back at Carbroth. And the way he says it is like, oh yeah, we got our, you know, locked in a room somewhere. It's not just like, oh yeah, we met a Herald once. It's like, oh no, we have one like under our control. That was a another kind of, wait, what moment? What is the contract that Dal- the Teravangian and Odium write at the end of this scene? Speaking of who's in Carbranth. I know that it had to do with Teravangian wanting to save the people of Carbranth, right? But I don't actually remember what the premise, like what, what Teravangian was doing or the rest. I just know that that was what he wanted to get out of it. So Teravangian has a letter from his grandkids in his hand, and he's doing all this to preserve his people. That That's his motivation, is to preserve the people he loves. And he makes he proposes this deal to Odium. I will help you if you protect all, everyone who is under my rule. And Odium says, no, because I know what you're up to. I can see your plan right here. You're going to take over the coalition, become the king of everybody, and then I can't do anything. Like, I have to preserve everybody. So no, I'm not going to do that. So then Teravangian says, okay, then save Carbranth. Just Carbranth. And that's it. So the the terms they come to are, I will preserve Carbranth, anyone born into Carbranth, and their spouses. Okay? So anyone who is physically in Carbranth, anyone born into Carbranth, and their spouses. Who do we know is from Carbranth? Isn't Kaladin's mother? Yes. Let me read a quote. And the spouse part is the important part here. Don't make the same mistake I did, son. Cal looked up from his folio. His father sat on the other side of the opening operating room, one hand to his head, half-empty cup of wine in, in the other. Violet wine, among the strongest of liquors. Father, when you get to Carbranth, stay there. His, voices, his voice was slurred. Don't get sucked back to this tiny, backward, foolish town. Don't force your beautiful wife to live away from everyone else she's ever known and loved. So yes, Kaladin's mother is from Carbranth. And now Lirin is under the protection of Teravangian. Right? Because he specifically includes their spouses. Kaladin is not, right? It does not include their families. It just includes their spouses, which I think is going to be key moving forward.
Good memory, Elliot. I didn't think you'd pick up on that. Well, I, I remembered that that's where Kaladin was was gonna like travel to. That that's where he was gonna go to his his studies. So just when you asked the question there, that that kind of popped back into my mind about his his mother. But yeah, that that could lead to a potentially interesting question where if, if maybe maybe if a lot of this gets revealed and out in the public and maybe Kaladin is faced with some sort of like a tough question of like, hey, if I support Dalinar, let's say, then this part of the world might survive, but others won't. But if I help Teravangian, Carbranth, Carbranth will be saved and my parents will be saved, but the rest of the world will, will get destroyed. That might force Kaladin into a tough decision. Also notably, Kaladin has a little brother at the beginning of this book. Liren and Hasina had another child that we met, so he would not be under the protection of that pact, but his parents would be. So that's an interesting twist to that as well. All right. Um, Go ahead. What in this? What in this contract is? Is Teravangian's part just being the moving piece for Odium? Is that what he's doing? You're, is there anything else? You're inside man, inside your Ethereum, basically. Because yeah. if if Odium goes to your Ethereum while Dalinar is there, Dalinar will force a contest of champions before Odium is ready. Because Odium's whole plan was Dalinar was going to be his champion, but that's no longer going to be the case, so he has to find a new champion. All right. And then we come to my favorite scene of all of Stormlight up until this point. I would like to read it. It's basically the very end of the book. Shalon and Adolin have just gotten married. And there's a couple key things in this uh, passage that I want to read, that I'm going to read, that I'll revisit here. But it's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read it. Get comfortable. The most important words a man can say are, I will do better. These are not the most important words any man can say. I am a man, and they are what I needed to say. The ancient code of the Knights Radiant says, journey before destination. Some may call it a simple platitude, but it is far more. A journey will have pain and failure. It is not only the steps forward that we must accept. It is the stumbles, the trials, the knowledge that we will fail, that we will hurt those around us. But if we stop, if we accept the person we are when we fall, the journey ends. That failure becomes our destination. To love the journey is to accept no such end. I have found, through painful experience, that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. I'm certain some will feel threatened by this record. Some few may feel liberated. Most will simply feel that it should not exist. I needed to write it anyway. He sat back, pleased. It seemed that in opening this doorway, he had entered a new world. He could read the Way of Kings. He could read his niece's biography of Gavilar. He could write down his own orders for men to follow. Most importantly, he could write this. His thoughts, his pains, his life. He looked to the side where Navani had placed the handful of blank pages he'd asked her to bring. Too few. Far, far too few. 
He dipped his pen again. Would you close the balcony doors again, Jem Hart? He asked her. The sunlight is distracting me from the other light. Other light? He, he nodded absently. As Navani shut the balcony doors, he closed his eyes and felt the warmth of a distant, unseen light. Then he smiled, and, with a hand still unsteady, like the legs of a child taking his first steps, he took another page and wrote a title for the book. Oathbringer, My Glory and My Shame, written by the hand of Dalinar Kulin. I think that is such a poetic way to end a book. I think when Brandon Sanderson was writing this, he could just feel it like, man, I'm a good writer. Like, <laughs> I think he, he could just feel it like this is such good writing. It's such a poetic, like epic way to end this book that you have Dalinar sitting down to write Oathbringer as Brandon Sanderson is finishing writing Oathbringer. Like, the so cheesy and cool and i don't know there's so there's so many cool things to to pull out of that what'd you guys think i i completely agree that it was an epic ending and a the the, the words that he's writing there in his book for for oathbringer like, like you just you just have to go back and, and read them again because they're so good. They they touch on so much of what I think this book what was about. I, I love especially the 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 bit about pain and failure and how we accept that, but we move forward. We keep going. We keep taking the next step, and that's just so that's just so encouraging. Like to me, just as a person, it's, it's like, I can, I can walk out of this book. I I close this book just feeling like, you know, inspired. It's like, man, tomorrow's Monday. It's going to be a, you know, a tough one back to, back to work. But I keep taking that next step. I keep moving forward. I go through something, you know, terrible in my life. It's hard. It's painful, but it, it becomes who I am. It becomes part of my journey. Yeah, I'm running out of words. It's so good. Throughout the book, I did wonder what our in-world reference to our title would be. Right, We had the in-world copy of The Way of Kings. And was it was written by Noadon. Right. And then we had Words of Radiance. Did we know who that was written by? Yeah, I don't remember who it is, though. It's some ancient artist talking about the Knight's Radiant. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. It was something about, you know some way associated with the Knights Radiant or Lightweavers or something. Um, and here, I thought we were taking a different approach of either the story of the Sword Oathbringer or some way tied to that, tied to Dalinar's story. And it is very tied to Dalinar's story, but I did not expect him to be the author of this book. Um, and I did think that was neat. And that kind of puts him in the territory, I think, with our, like historical philosophers almost or or writers, uh, which was pretty neat. Um, 
So yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. Um, a good, I think it was a good closing. I honestly think if, given the big confrontation and climax of this book, if you changed it to from Odium retreated to like Odium dies, then this would just be the end of a story. Like it, it's kind right. of a good. He closes the book and and the end, you know. They get married, Shalon and Adolin get married, you know, the happy ever after, right? Um, but no, it, it it was a cool, it was a cool way to do it. I don't know if with war, our next book, do we think Vinley's gonna write that? Because I'm assuming with the rhythms, it's gonna be tied to our Parshendi, and that's our Parshendi protagonist, so. You, you made a good point there, Paul. That I, I didn't think about this. There's actually a surprising amount of closure at this point in our story. Like, there, there's definitely loose ends. There's some unanswered questions. I think we're going to talk about some of that in our in our next episode when we kind of do our, our retrospective. But but every story has has unanswered questions, and the amount of like resolution I feel like we just arrived at as Dalinar starts to, to put pen to paper here is it is a bit surprising for like kind of where we're at in our story, right? We know we're working with a, a five book series. This is the end of book three. This should be like the middle. If, if you had, if I knew nothing about the book series, I would tell you end of book three out of five. Oh yeah. There's going to be all kinds of loose ends. You're going to be in the midst of it all. That's not what it feels like at this point. Like there's a lot going on, but this is, I feel like we're at a very satisfying moment. I don't I don't know if this has to do with when I read these for the first time, but Oathbringer had just come out when when I went when I tore through these and I felt the same exact way. I was like, "Wow, what a great what 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 a great story. I we're done." Like it feels it feels very finalized right now and then Yeah. which is part of the reason why Rhythm of War picks up a year later because this was a a good story arc of three books and then we'll be picking up on a new story with Venley in Rhythm of War, so. Good stuff. There there was one other thing I actually wanted to touch on here. Yeah. He opens that that bit of the book Oathbringer with saying, what are the most important words a man can say? And he answers that with, I will do better. Isn't that the very question that Gavilar asked all the way back in the first prologue of Way of Kings? His, his dying words that Zeth wrote down for us were, find the most important words a man can say? It is. And Definitely is. it's a quote from the Way of Kings. The Way of Kings asks the reader, what are the most important words a man can say? And as far as we know, the book never answers it. We don't have the full in-world in text, but the, the text itself asks the reader, what are the most important words a man can say? And that's what Gavilar has Zeth write on the board in his blood. Brother, find the most important words a man can say. Dalinar, at least for himself, has found those words of, I will do better. Yeah, it feels I say this kind of hesitantly that we've we've resolved that. 
I mean, we, we, Paul, you and I kind of agonized over that many times throughout the three books that we've read of what are, what are the most important words a man can say could be? Are they the ideals? Are they like, what are they? Is this it? Is that, is that the answer? Dalinar's arrived. He knows what his words are. Um, I, I'm glad you brought this up. I feel like there are two things we've really antagonized, uh, agonized about since the beginning. And that was, I mean, it was extremely, an extremely weighty question because yeah. Davilar is dying and that's kicked off the entire premise of our story and our characters and everything. And it was this message of find them. What are the most important words a man can say that and the dark sphere. But, yes. um, which we actually had a reference to for the first time in ninety episodes, which we haven't even I'm talked so about excited it. Excited to talk about that, but we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it here in a second. Um, but so Dalinar here is saying the most important words, and he prefaces it somewhat of like at least it's the most important words that I I needed to say or I needed to follow. Um, and so, yeah, th that's why I was, that's a big part of why I was saying, like, it feels like we have that closure that you could, yeah, there's a lot of loose ends on characters and questions and things like that. Um, but a lot of it feels resolved. Our big question from the get go feels resolved and finished. And I think it, like, if you switch the ending to Odium dies and, they live happily ever after. You could close the book and be like, wow, that was, you know, what a story. Right. You know? Um, but we continue. And we do get a mention of the Dark Sphere, which I don't know if y'all have more thoughts about this, the words, okay. that's okay. But if not, I, I would like to talk about it. We can we can talk about it. Can I, can I lead this real quick? Go for it. Okay. When we started this podcast, you have now read... What I had the full context of what I had to to start this to start this podcast episode one. You guys see a dark sphere in Zeth's possession, and you're like, "Okay, what is this? We're gonna learn about this. Maybe in the next part when we get you know more Zeth or whatever, and he'll have it with him, and we'll we'll learn more about that. I, I can't wait to learn more about that. And I'm I I would love maybe I should pull up my facial expressions of when you guys were talking about that, but. I knew at that time that there was exactly one reference to that dark sphere in the entirety of the storm that archive that we had read that I'd read that far. And it was the last chapter of Oathbringer that is referenced exactly once. And I'm thinking to myself, man, how many times are we going to talk about the dark sphere? And it's never brought up until, <laughs> until we have an unmade spelled out for us in in the king's drop or in the king's drop and Navani's like, huh, that looks like that dark sphere. And that's the whole that's the, that's it. That's the whole thing. Yep. There we have it. And, and we didn't let you down, did we? We've brought it up probably every every four or five episodes at first. <laughs> at least. Yeah. <laughs> every time there's something new come up, once we got the mention of the term Dawn Shard, which we still don't even know what it is, we're like I think the gem is a, the dark, the dark gem, the dark sphere is a, is a dawn shard and we're going to learn how that, you know, works, whatever. But yeah, that, that's a tough one. I'm hoping for the Zeth treatment where at the end of our second book, 
was whenever we really got to see Zeth or kind of a monumental where Nail get a monumental moment where Nail gives Zeth Nightblood and it's like, would you like to kill some evil today and heals him and it's like, whoa, okay. So we're going to see Zeth kind of revived and on a new journey. I don't think that's the same here, but we do have a mention and so I'm hoping we will now see mentions of it more often than we have, which the bar is very low, so I think it's easy to beat. If this gives you any comfort at all, the prologues for all of our books are the same night from different perspectives. And the prologue for Rhythm of War is Navani. And Navani... an eye for something like that. Yes, know? that night is the same night that that dark sphere is floating around, and we'll see Navani's perspective of what's happening there. Are we fairly confident of what that dark sphere is now? I'm, I think so. I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I think I kind of put my, my foot in my mouth. I don't know if it was last episode or, or two episodes ago, where I, I kind of came out and said... Hey Paul, I think that dark sphere may not actually be important. And then we go and read these chapters, <clears throat> and they bring it up again, and they reference. It. I was like, oh, oh no, okay, yep, important, okay, got it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back on that and say I'm fully back in the camp of I think it's important now. The question is, is it another unmade trapped in a gem? That that's the question. So, first off, I think that was the most, like, sad I was about an Elliot prediction or Elliot <laughs> comment. Easy, easily, like, the most, like, I've been bothered by someone saying something on this podcast was he was like, you know, I don't I don't really think we're going to, I don't think it's going to be anything after all. And I was like, no, no, our dark sphere. No, this is what it's all been about. That's we've, what everything has been about. We've so bonded over this for 80 episodes and you throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And then the irony of right after that, we read and we get our first ever actual mention of the Dark Sphere. The first yep. one past its introduction, which was so brief. So maybe we need to discount it more. Maybe I need to just come <laughs> out and say, you know what? I just think this Dark Sphere business is just a load of rubbish. I don't think I don't think we're gonna see it at all. Uh <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I, I apologize, Paul. I doubted it was momentary, <laughs> but I, I am back on the, the, the faith of we've, we've got to learn what this dark sphere is. I think that was the best timing for you to, to begin to doubt yeah. the, the dark sphere. <laughs> you know, you could honestly, you could have started doubting it in the middle of this book and I'd have been like, yeah, you know, probably yeah. so. Probably so. But I did want to briefly talk about um, you asked, like, oh, is there like an unmade in there? I I thought about this, and I don't remember the exact phrasing in the book, but it seemed significant. Um, Navani mentions that, like, oh, like, Gavilar had one similar. I took, or at least the way I read it and understood it was, not that Gavilar had, like, a captured um, unmade, but that Gavilar wanted to bring them back so he could capture an unmade, or that, that he was, like, getting prepared to do so. Um, I could see either making sense because the the Parshendi were really upset with this, so 
it would make sense if they were like, oh, he has an unmade. We can't let him just let this thing out, or if that was what his plan was. But, um, yeah, I guess that's where my mind went, was he wanted to sort of lead a crusade of, like, capturing the unmade or something along those lines. I still don't, I don't know how he got to this point, where he was worried about unmade and no one had any clue or idea, except maybe, maybe Yasna. Yasna. If anyone would know, probably Yasna, but... Yeah, what a mess our Dark Sphere friend has been. Anything else? But besides our epilogue, you we'll, mean? Yeah, we'll get to the epilogue here in a second. <laughs> We're going to fast forward the epilogue. Okay, so we finished the book. Hoyd is in Alethkar. We get a quick scene of Hoyd in Alethkar, and he's behind the... He's in line for food at, in Kolinar, and he's standing behind a, a Thalen man who he knows full well, doesn't speak Alethi, and he says, all great art is hated. Blah, 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 on and on and on about how art needs to be hated so that you know it's loved by someone and everyone hates the thing you love and everything, blah, blah, blah. And so when I say that I hate your face and your face is terrible, I'm really complimenting you. So you, if you took sandpaper to your face, it could only improve how you look. And then the guy turns around and says something in Thalen and uh, Hoyt's like, oh, you don't speak Alethi. That's a bummer. So then he cuts him in line and gets punched in the face, which was his goal all along because he's trying to get one of his teeth knocked out as a disguise. <laughs> I just don't... I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. I think... I, uh, I loved this. I loved it a lot. I think it, I think it was one of the funniest, if not the funniest, like, moments we've had in our books. Like, just face value it was just so ridiculous it's a good one like he he tells this whole story and then ends with the you're really ugly by the way and if he took sandpaper to your face it would it would be doing you a favor and i would tell you to put a punched and was like thank you so much sir i will be on my way now i would i would tell you to put a sack over your head but think of think of the sack you know you wouldn't want to do that to the sack right (laughs) all right but then this transitions into an actually kind of tender scene where he's trying to do everything he can for the people of Kolinar. When we, when we left Wit back in the end of part three, Wit actually has a kind of a moment of crisis where Shalon is grieving the loss of her urchin friend. I don't remember his name. Um, and Wit actually tears himself up a little bit about it. He says, I'm really, I'm really sorry that I didn't help you with this. I was distracted by more important things and more other, other things. And so he's actually spent his time since then just doing what he can for whoever. And he's re he's uniting this orphan girl with these parents who their, who their child has died in Kolinar and he's, he's doing what he can. And there's a couple key things to pull out of this epilogue what'd you guys get but before i mention one thing i just want to say that that scene was actually like really emotional yeah like i wasn't i was not prepared like we had just finished the book you had that like you know ah story resolved moment and then we launch into this where wit is finding a mother who's still like clutching her empty cradle because her, her her baby has died and then goes 
down the street and there's a, a kid who's sitting beside her dead mother, like wanting, hoping for her mom to get up and like, you know, come back. And he like convinces the two, you know, he kind of pairs the two up. He takes the, the child who's lost her mother and, and the mother who's lost her child and like, you know, take care of each other. Like I like started to tear up because I wasn't ready for it. I was like, Whoa, like right in the fields out of nowhere. But the, the moment that stood out to me was when he's with the little girl, the way he kind of gets her to come with him is he use, he uses breaths to awaken the little doll that he makes and uses it to like walk down the street with, which is very similar to some of the powers that we saw in Warbreaker. The yeah. way they do it. it even it even talks about how his coat like loses color, just like we we saw, you know, the characters in that story do. Right. You gotta you have to keep the doll in the light and then he coaxes the little girl out of the out of the shadows and then reunites her but yeah you're right he does uh command the the doll um with breaths and his his coat is is gray afterwards which is similar to how breaths work yeah first off i want to say that yeah it was really emotional and i wasn't fully expecting that from hoyd um we haven't seen a moment where hoyd has really cared about like just the individual people in their lives on Roshar. Uh, he, he's always like, he knows he is where he needs to be. But we have always kind of assumed it was some kind of grand cosmic scheme that we don't understand or know about. And he doesn't really care about the people. He's doing his thing, you know. Um, and this was really tender, and it was really touching and emotional. I, I fully agree. Um, I also think well, he's our first character that we've seen, right, that, at least in our world, that we've very deliberately seen use breaths, as well as he says the ideals, right, the first ideal of the Knight's Radiance, so... As far as I know, he's our first character who is dual wielding magic systems. So, true. Who, who does he say the first ideal to? This is the very last line of the book. To to the random spren that he picked up off the building. Yes. So he walks up to the palace. He's got his he's got his huge disguise on. He's like this old decrepit man, and. The whole point of his disguise is not to be recognized by the fused who who would recognize him as not only the king's wit but as Hoyd, which is apparently a big big problem. He walks over uh, on that real quick. He, even to the point where he's like walking into the building and he like recognizes the fused. He's walking past. He's like, "Oh, Sally, I remember her," and like walks past. That was another like, uh, what? Right. Anyway, continue. And. He muses to himself like, oh, my art is so good, they ignore it. So maybe I have to rethink my whole spiel I gave the Thalen guy back there. Um, but he he hobbles into the palace and goes to where Elokar has died. His blood is still on the floor. And he walks over to the side of the wall and says, come with me. I have lies to tell you. 
come with me. Life before death, little one. And a cryptic crawls out of the wall. A, a pattern is what it is what it describes it as. Crawl, crawls out of the wall and into his coat pocket. And then he says, life before death, little one. You guys were wondering what Order of Knights Radiant Elokar was going to swear into. This is Elokar's spren who has been huddled around the dead body, similar to how Venli finds the um, timber next to Eshenai's dead body. Yeah, yeah. It it huddles next to Elokar, where Elokar died, and he, he knows it's there. He goes and recovers it, and is now a light weaver. Hoyd has now sworn the first ideal and has a cryptic. I did not expect it to be a Lightweaver situation. No. At all, actually. The the one hint you've had before this is Elokar back in the Words of Radiance. He says, are you guys going to catch those assassins and those symbol heads in the mirror? And that's the whole, that's the whole thing. It's a one-liner back in Words of Radiance. And he's saying it's like, yeah, I see shapes and symbols and it over my shoulder and in, in reflections, and like similar to how Shalon was running from the symbol heads back in the Way of Kings and having no idea what was happening. I do understand that. I I don't think I really question too much that like, oh, Elokar would have been a light weaver or something like that. I don't understand how this works with Hoyd. Is he a light weaver? Does he have like a whole like? regiment of spren he's collected from people over the years or like i don't know i don't know how that works he's doing the know. knight's radiant 100 percent speed run he's going yes. for all of them <laughs> he's trying to be the first to collect all 10 surges right. you know so yeah i don't get that because in my head like i don't imagine our I don't know, marathon runner who's sliding around everywhere between worlds and stuff, like being a light weaver. I don't know. And hasn't he been using like teleportation powers or things like that already? I don't. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, it doesn't seem right for it to be like, oh, he is. Congrats, Hoyd. You are now a light weaver, like level one light weaver, like. It almost so. seems like he already has powers like that, right? You know he. Mm -hmm. He's already yeah. has the whole like smoke images thing that he does where he tells a story and he can also project all these like images of the story he's telling. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like for him to then like enter into at the you know, ground zero of, of Lightweaver, it's like uh this guy's already got like that and more, it seems. Yeah, exa exactly. That that's where I'm lost or confused. Is he just like is this a foster home? Is he like a foster parent for Spren around Roshar? Or I don't know. Anything else from the epilogue? Oh, come on, Elliot. You've got something in all caps for the epilogue. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. There is one thing. and It's not super important because we don't know anything about it. But we get another name drop that we've heard before, but now I'm just getting like, you know, spun up about it the way I do. Ray's is a name that's come up in context with Hoyd before. Am I saying that name right? Yep. Is that how they say it? 
Race? Okay. Yep. Hoyd talks about how Ray's would burn this city down if there was even a chance of catching me or something like that. And we've heard mention of this name before, and it's gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, and th- this is becoming the new Terra, where it's like, I need to know about this person. Who is this person, and why are they important, and why do they keep coming up, and how are they tied with Hoyd? I must know, and I'm sure I won't for a long time. Yeah, you might you might learn sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh huh. He Maybe. says with a, a gleeful twinkle in his eye. Maybe. I'll I'll put it this way: I learned not by reading Stormlight Archive. I will say that. And that that doesn't surprise me one bit. We we've we've kind of picked up that Hoyt is the the world traveler, perhaps. And when I say world traveler, I should probably say world's traveler or something like that. And yeah, and for his his backstory or characters that are tied for him to be in other books, yeah, it doesn't surprise me a bit. He he's Mr. World's Wide. World's Wide. Yeah. yeah. All right. You have finished Oathbringer. You have a decent amount, 90% of the context I had about this series when we started this podcast. How do you guys feel? Whew. And really good. I think we've, we've used, I've used this cliche probably too many times, but you know, what a journey, what, what a, you know, Sanderson makes you work for it, Yes. Uh, but the payoff, the payoff is worth it. It's you, you, you think back to some of those early chapters we were slogging through in this book in particular. And it's like, yeah, that, wow. I'm so glad that I, I'm so glad that I kept going and got to this point and got to experience this, the, the end of the story. Definitely. I am also, I, I want to say I'm really grateful that we read Warbreaker uh, because it added more yes. information than I thought it was going to. Right. Um, and so that makes me more excited to read our other novellas in Dawn Shard than I actually was to read Warbreaker initially. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I really enjoyed this book, and but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to the rest. We uh, we'll we'll do the full book wrap up next week. But Elliot, do you want to wrap up part five for us? I know you want to do do, do those summaries. Yes, yes. It it was kind of hard actually to think about just part five and not about the the whole story itself. But but yes, to to try and and tack a, a theme or kind of what what did I come out of this this part of this story thinking about or kind of resonating with me? The the theme I kind of got to was. The, the word I want to put on it is together, which I realize kind of immediately ties into unity is kind of, you know, a word that's important in this section, but just that whole concept of being there for each other and doing, go, going through this, this incredible challenge, this incredible epic battle and scene and moment and struggle together. What was, was so important at the end of it, when you, when you think about it. And I actually wanted to read a couple segments that kind of tie into this. The first is the epigraph from chapter 122 is an excerpt from The Way of Kings. And it says this. Yes, 
I began my journey alone, and I ended it alone, but that does not mean that I walked it alone. Referencing, you know, to the whole Noadon, I I walked from wherever to wherever for a long time. And then the other part, we, we talked about this, but we didn't actually read it, so I want to read it. And it's it's the conversation with with Kaladin and and Teft. And here's what it, here here are the actual words in the book. It doesn't change us, Teft. We're still who we are. And then again, it doesn't get easier, Teft. He said, it gets harder. I think. The more you learn about the words, fortunately, you do get help. You were mine when I needed it, and I'll be yours. And then I think about you know that conversation with Kaladin and Teft that we talked about a little bit earlier. And then I, I even kind of the capstone on it all is that Trevor, as you coined it, that Avengers moment where down our faces down this entire army and Odium himself, but he doesn't do it alone. He does it with Lift. He does it with Kaladin. He does it with pretty much all, maybe, of the orders of Knights Radiant. And so what, what looked like it was going to be a each individual person like facing their own battles ended up being, no, we come together and we fight together. Unity. I thought that was really cool and what I kind of walk away from part five with. Any closing well closing thoughts, Paul? No, I th- I think that was summed up really well. Um, nothing to add for my previous comment. Wonderful. Thanks for joining me, guys, on Oathbringer. This is what I was looking forward to when we started this podcast, and I've said that before. But next week we will be talking about Oathbringer as a whole and how it fits into the Stormlight Archive compares to the other books after that the week after we will be doing a cosmere 101 class and i will be your professor and then beyond that we'll be doing novellas from arcanum unbounded before we jump back into dawn shard and then later rhythm of war so if you guys are reading along with us you might want to pick up arcanum unbounded we'll be doing that for three or four weeks and then we'll be doing dawn shard and then back into rhythm of war so Thank you for joining me, Paul and Elliot, and we will reconvene next week. It's been an honor. My pleasure.